Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Friday, May the 19th. And uh, today we're going to talk about Cuba. We have a couple of very important Cuban anniversaries. May 19th, the death of Jose Martí, and May 20th, the anniversary of Cuban independence in 1902. So joining us today is one of our favorite uh, Cuban friends, Alberto de la Cruz, the managing editor of the Babalu blog. So, Alberto, it's great to see you. Great to see you as well, Silvio. Thank you for having me on. It, it, like I mentioned to you off the air, it feels like your family because we interact so much. Uh, we interact so much almost on a daily basis, it seems like, with, with the posts at Babalu. So it, it just, uh, as I said, it feels like you're one of the family, Alberto. Yeah, same here. Same here. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a big, well, big, big Babalu family. Yeah, the big Babalu family, uh, Carlos, everybody else who's a part of this. Uh, I guess Humberto as well, um, everybody everybody who's a part of this. Um, let me begin by pointing out that uh, the Babalu blog has now been around for 20 years. You remember that great Beatles song? It was 20 years ago today. Well, uh, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. That was that famous song. Well, this right. one, it was 20 years ago today uh, that Babaloog started posting. So tell us a little bit about the, those early days and what got Babaloog going, Alberto. Actually, it'll be 20 years on, on June, I believe it's June 28th, was the, the first post. June 28, 2003 was the first post on Babaloog. So we're fast approaching our 20th anniversary, which... It's really mind-boggling uh, to think about it. Blogging was just in its infancy. It had just started. Val Prieto, who you know as well, who is the founder of Babalu, started that started the blog. And it's amazing to think that it's lasted for 20 years with constant content and commentary and news and information and a loyal following throughout these 20 years. So it's, yeah. it's quite a milestone and, and, and quite an achievement, which, you know, I, I really owe all the credit to, to Val, who, who had the vision and, and, and did what it took to, to get it started and kept it going. Right. No, and I tell you, I have to say two things about our friend Valentin Prieto. Number one, whenever... Uh, Somebody takes a cheap shot at me in one of the comments, and sometimes that happens on Facebook. You know, somebody will say something. Valentin goes out there and protects me, so I'm always, <laughs> always grateful to Valentin because he protects the contributors. 
And uh, the other thing is that I had the, the pleasure of meeting his parents, his late parents, when I was there in Miami with you guys a few years ago. What a right. wonderful, uh, I know they've passed away, but what a wonderful set of parents they were. And I have to tell you, I, I think I mentioned this to Valentin and to them when I was there talking to them. They reminded me so much of my parents because they were so typical of that Cuban generation, if you know what I mean. They, it seems like you could, you, they had such a strong sense of family, a strong sense of purpose. And just talking to the two of them, I just said to myself, it, it seems like I'm talking to my parents, Alberto. That's how much they impressed me uh, that day. Yeah, they were. I I had the good fortune living down here, and and I don't live too far away from Val, so we get to see. Uh, ever since we met many years ago, we we not a lot of time goes by that we don't see each other. And and I used to go to his house. Uh, he would have events all the time and get-togethers, and I, I sort of adopted because my dad passed away before I ever met Val. And my mom, unfortunately, you know, last 10 years of her life was with Alzheimer's. So I sort of adopted Val's parents as my parents because they were, like you said, so similar. It's that generation. That, you know, for, for Cubans, it's, you know, what I call the greatest generation because they're Absolutely. the ones who gave everything up, who did the unthinkable to make sure their children would grow up in freedom and not grow up right. under a communist tyranny. No, and they paid such a sacrifice for doing that. I, I think all of us know that that story. Having to come to a, a new country and start all over again, it's not easy. All of our parents did that, and, and, and I'm grateful to, to all of them. In my case, both of my parents have now passed away too. And, and on holidays like this, the 19th and the 20th, uh, we think about Cuban history, but we also think about our parents because – it was my parents, really, who kept us Cuban, if you know what I mean. It was my parents who kept us focused on, on Cuba when we came here. And now, your situation, you were actually born in the United States, right? So how did you stay focused on Cuba? Well, that's, that's a funny thing. I was actually born here. I was the first one in my family uh, to be born in the U.S. Uh, from my cousins and my brother. My brother and sister were both, they're older, they were both born in Cuba. But... Honestly, it wasn't until I was around five or six years old that I realized that I wasn't born in Cuba because of the upbringing that I had. And I grew up in Little Havana. Right. Uh, I went to a school in the heart of Little Havana where the majority of the teachers or a good number of the teachers were Cuban teachers who had come over in the 60s and early 70s and continued teaching here in, in the United States. And the funny thing about my school was, and, you know, speaking of today, May 19th, being Jose Martí's, uh, the anniversary of Jose Martí's death, in my elementary school, we were taught Cuban history. We were taught about Jose Martí. We learned his poetry and his writings. We celebrated his May 19th and May 20th in, our, in that school, and they actually taught us the Cuban national anthem, along with the, uh, you know, the, uh, the U.S. national anthem as well. But I was fortunate to grow up in an environment where I was able to tap into both my American 
Americanness, for lack of a better word, and also my Cuban heritage from my parents. So I got the best of both worlds. And I, I, I see that it's such an odd combination and, and I'm sure it's, you'll see it in, or I'm sure you can see it with other immigrant uh, Italians or Irish or, or Mexican or whatever it may be with that first generation that's born here has the privilege of having the best of both worlds because my children and when I have grandchildren, my grandchildren are not going to have the same experiences that I had of growing up in a house where you only spoke Spanish, you only ate Cuban food, right? and you went out and you ate hamburgers, you ate pancakes, and you spoke English, and you came back home, and it was like being between two parallel universes. But the transition would be seamless, uh, which, you, you know, no other generation can, can experience that. Right. No, yeah, we're, we're such a, um, I mean, I was born in Cuba and I came here, so it's a little different, but because we ended up in Wisconsin, which is so far away, and I think Carlos Seide can relate to this because he didn't grow up in Miami either. Uh, and you know, you, you eventually you get away from it, not on purpose, but you're, you're not around it. And it, it was really my parents who kept everything going. It was my parents who reminded us about May 19th. It was my parents who reminded us about May 20th. Uh, and they were the ones who explained it all to us. And as we got older, of course, in my case, I became more interested as I got older. Uh, and, and then, of course, for me now, I, I take a, a strong personal interest in these holidays. So what is Babalu going to be posting or planning for posting on the 19th and the 20th? What are some of the things that uh, that you plan to do this year, Alberto? Well, obviously, we, we this morning, uh, we had a post. I wrote a post commemorating uh, the anniversary of Jose Martí's death. And I actually allude to, uh, to that whole part of how my parents how I heard about Jose Marti throughout my childhood. Uh, as a matter of fact, the image that's on that post is is a famous image that's been painted by, I've, I've seen various different uh, versions of it, uh, different painters have, have painted it, but the, the famous image of Jose Marti on his white horse being shot and his last act was to look up at the sun before he died as his last act of defiance against the, the, the Spaniards. And that's an image that I grew up looking at. That's what I was taught. That's, so it's ingrained in me. And it's a very important because he, even, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, Jose Martí, well, he's part of Cuban history. Only Cubans are interested. But for all your your listeners or your viewers out there, I would highly recommend all his work is practically translated to English. I would highly recommend you read his works because he was a brilliant, brilliant man and really was able to capture the essence of what real freedom is. Right. In his no, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. And uh, I, I, you mentioned an image. Uh, we grew up with an image of Marti. My father had like a little office. And uh, I mean, he didn't work from home, but he had like a little office at home. And <coughs> he used to play chess in that office. That's what he did. He used to play chess. 
And later on, when he figured out the computer, he used to also work in the computer. And on the wall where you had all the family photos, there was one uh, little quadro, as he would call it, a little quadro, with the words of Jose Martí that uh, las playas del exilio son más bellas when you say goodbye to them. I think that those are the words that I can't think of the exact word, but basically the the beaches of the exterior are always more beautiful when you're going home. I think that's what it loosely translates to, that quote from him. And then under that quote, there was a copy that my father had of a one peso bill from pre-Castro Cuba. And that, that of course, had an image of Martí on, on the peso. So that, you know, that little quadro uh, frame, as my father called it, of José Martí in that quote, I used to see that every Sunday when I went to their house. It was right there. I couldn't avoid it. So I kind of grew up with that image of of Jose Martí. So that's my reference uh, to that. But also I wanted to say that, Alberto, when I traveled, when I lived, I lived and worked in Mexico City for four years. I was amazed at how well-known Jose Martí was. I didn't know this. Maybe I should have known this. But he was extremely well-known uh, by other people in other countries. And if you went to a bookstore in Mexico City, you would find sections of the bookstore and you could see his books. And they were for sale, bestsellers. I mean, you didn't have to order them. They were right there. And I remember one time that I bought several books from my father when I was in Mexico City of Jose Martí because I wanted to replenish his library. So you are right. Jose Martí is very well known. Now, the other big holiday, Alberto, that, that, that we celebrate this weekend is May 20th, and that is Cuban Independence Day. Um, what are you planning to do for that, Alberto? Well, we'll do it like we do every year. We, we commemorate it and, and we celebrate it. It was independence from, from Spain in May 20th, 1902, a scant, you know, seven seven years and one day, if I, my calculations are correct, um, from the death of, of Maritim, because that's what he fought for, uh, for the final independence. Well, actually, on, on May 20th, 1902, is when the Republic of Cuba was inaugurated. Independence, uh, they had won it, I believe, is in 1898. But in 1902, Cuba became the country as Jose Martí wanted. He wanted Cuba to be its own country, to be a sovereign nation, and the country was inaugurated, a president had been elected, and Cuba became a democratic country. Right. Uh, and that's what we'll celebrate, and that's, that's what we'll commemorate tomorrow, and that's what we all want for, for Cuba. As, you, know, as right. you mentioned earlier, I was born here. I, mm -hmm. I really don't have as you know, as Americans, you know, as we Americans like to say, you know, skin in the game. But I do have skin in the game. It's it's heritage. It's the memory of my of my late parents, my brother and my sister who were both born there, and all the family that I still have over there. It's to me, it's it's very important that uh, Cubans be given the opportunity to live in freedom once again. Right. So I, I think that's the most important thing to, to commemorate and celebrate is that Cuba was once a free nation and it can be once again. Right. 
And, you know, when I think of May 20th, I remember that article that our friend Carlos wrote at uh, Babalu many years ago where he did that comparison, remember? Where he did that comparison in the first half of the century uh, with Cuba pre-Castro and then in the second half, it was almost like 60 years even. And he made that comparison and compared the two nations. And, you know, it's, it's pretty difficult not to see how much better Cuba was before communism. And one of the points that Carlos made in that article that he wrote was the number of, of people who moved to Cuba in the first 50, 60 years of the 20th century, the people from all over the world moved to Cuba because it was a good place to live. And then you contrast that, of course, with now, where people are looking to get out. So I think that says it all. There was nobody rowing a raft to Miami before communism. Okay, they do it now, we know, and it's a dangerous, uh, dangerous trip. So uh, that's what it means to me, you know, Cuban, Cuban independence. Uh, and, and you're right, I'm hoping that someday I live to see the independence from this terrible regime. And my parents won't see it, but I'd love to, to see it. Well, one of the, the, one of the best parts of our Babalu blog is your, and you do a lot of this yourself, a lot of the reporting of the news from Cuba. And first of all, how do you get so much news from Cuba? And if you could give us a, a synopsis of the situation in Cuba today, uh, Alberto. Well, uh, luckily, there's a lot of reporting, that independent reporting that goes on in Cuba that's carried by websites or, or news websites that are operating outside of Cuba. Uh, you know, one example is Diario de Cuba that works out of uh, out of Madrid. Um, I believe Cubanet works out of Miami. But there's a, there's a lot of news and information that's being reported coming from independent journalists in Cuba that are that are being posted here. And I, I basically I start early in the morning and and I start reading the news and start seeing what's going on and staying on top of what's what's going on and and I obviously you can't post everything <coughs> excuse me and, you know you can't write about everything that's going on so I try to to pick and choose which would be you know what's important and and what I think the readers want to see and and what are uh, what I believe the world should know about because the cool thing about Babalu is, yes, we have a lot of Cuban-American uh, readers uh, in the United States and, and Cubans in exile all over the world. We get, you know, we have readers all over the world. We all, but we also get a lot of non-Cuban readers. And for me, it's important because Reuters is not going to report on it. AP is not going to report on it. New York Times is not going to report on it. So it's important to me that they're able to see and read and learn about what's going on in Cuba, not three weeks later. Uh, I, I mean, a perfect example were the, uh, were the protests that took place in, in a little town in, in Guantanamo. It took mainstream media almost a week to catch up to find out what was going on. We were reporting it the next day because we had – the information coming in. So, 
Now, I was going to ask you, Alberto, uh, a lot of times what impresses me is how you get information out of Cuba. Are there, without disclosing or compromising anything, are there people in Cuba who, who check Babalu? I mean, are there, uh, I know it's hard to follow it, but in Cuba, because of the electricity shortages, you know, many people don't have access. But do you, do you have any idea of how many people in Cuba check Babalu? I, according to our statistics, we'll occasionally get a hit out of okay. Cuba. I believe, I remember seeing a couple of, or a few years back, there was uh, someone had gotten a list of all the websites that were that the Cuban regime had blocked on the island. We were we were on there, and <laughs> which is funny because all our content is in English, but I'm not sure if they're still blocking us. But again, our content is in English, and I get you know some readers, I get emails and you know say hey you know you guys are doing a great job. It's really good information, but you know you should do it in Spanish so people. You know, Spanish-speaking people can can read. I go, look, I'm getting all this information from Spanish websites. You can go there. I'm my main goal, or Babalu's main goal, is to get this information to the English-speaking audience that doesn't have any source for these, right. you know, for these news stories. Right. Exactly. And and also, you have to think of another benefit of doing it in English, and that is that you know, the next generation, my sons, for example. Uh, who were born and grew up in Texas, uh, they would they would find it easier to, to see the news in English. Uh, they speak Spanish, but not as well as they speak English, of course. So I think when when you speak English, you broaden your base a great deal, including a lot of the young Cubans of the generation that you know was born here in the 80s and 90s. That obviously is is better connected, better connected in English. Uh, there were some elections. In fact, we, we had a, a presentation today about Cuba in a breakfast that we have once a week here. It's a Latin American club, and today was Cuba's turn, so I I talked about Cuba. And somebody was asking me about, about elections that were held in Cuba in November. Uh, any Anything you want to say about that? I mean, they had elections in November, and I think they just recently had elections in March. They call them elections, but the elections in November were basically for the National Assembly. And what Cubans are given a ballot, and that ballot gives you one, there are, uh, I don't want to say, there's 400-something seats. I can't remember the exact number now. 400-something seats in the National Assembly. And uh, let's, let's say a number, 450 seats in the National Assembly. And there were 450 candidates for all those seats. So basically Cubans are given a ballot with one name on it and they say yes or no. That's what they consider voting. So <laughs> right. then you had yeah. the, you know, quote unquote <laughs> presidential election in, right. in March, which is basically the rubber stamped 400 and some odd National Assembly members vote for the president. So, of course, you know, that was basically, uh, I think, all but unanimous vote for him. And Cuba claims to have the most perfect democracy in the entire world. If, if you know, if you get to choose from one candidate, I, I don't think that's democracy. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Of course, the, the, 
another big problem in Cuba right now is the economy. And they, you know, many countries did have problems with COVID, of course, but Cuba has not recovered from COVID at all. One of the problems is that the, the tourism sector is not providing the kind of revenue that they probably thought it would. You also have the problem, and you've posted a great deal about this, and that's the debt negotiations. I think people have finally gotten tired of, of uh, renewing their debt. I mean, it comes a point in time where you can no longer forgive any more debt. And, and I think a lot of countries are starting to get hard on that. And, and you know, that's a real problem. If they, can get, if they cannot get some of those debts uh, forgiven, they're not going to be able to get any investment. Uh, now, they're getting, I guess, China, you mentioned, Vietnam, Russia. But I'm not sure how much those countries can do, Alberto. Well, yes, Cuba was hit very hard economically by COVID, like everybody else was. Uh, every there's not a country that was spared uh, from the lockdowns and, and everything that took place. But what kind of set Cuba apart? It, it its economy was already teetering when COVID hit. So COVID should have been the death knell for for that economy. But the problem that you have with Cuba, they can't renegotiate the debt. Because, you know, like you said, how many times are you going to keep renegotiating it? And this is a country that for 59 years has a reputation of not, you know, it's, it's a, they're deadbeats. They don't pay back their debt. They just renegotiate or borrow from someone else to pay the other guy, that, you know, and it just keeps going and going and going. They have no intentions of, of renegotiate, of ever paying off their debt. But the way they're able to survive is, through joint ventures. So let's say you're Spain and you're sitting on a huge mountain of debt with Cuba and Cuba's not paying you. The problem is you allowed Spanish companies to do joint ventures in Cuba through the hotels and the resorts and that nature. So if you squeeze Cuba and you for you know and you force them into default, you're hurting your own economy with your own companies. So Cuba sort of has, I don't want to call it blackmail, but they but they, they have a hostage. They have a hostage, and that hostage is the billions of dollars that the European Union has invested in Cuba, that Spain has invested in Cuba, that Canada has invested in Cuba. So they're sort of, you know, they have a horse, they they decided to ride this horse. They're midstream. The horse is faltering. You know they're they're not going to stab it. They're going to ju- get off the horse and try to push it across the stream. So that's what's been able to keep Cuba. But as far as the Cuban economy, it's a centralized economy. It's a socialist economy, which means it doesn't work. Cuba is one of the most prosperous Latin American countries uh, before 1959. It was a self-sufficient country. More Cubans vacations. In 1958, more Cubans vacationed in the United States. My parents used to vacation in the United States than Americans vacationed in Cuba. Right, that's an incredible fact. It and had, I, it yeah. had the first. It had a full-time. Uh, Cuba had a 24-hour color television station before there was ever one in the United States. Right. It was no, it, very, it's remarkable. It was a very well-developed country, and socialism mm-hmm. destroyed that. So right. the way they were able to survive 
was the Soviet Union, subsidies from the Soviet Union. When the Soviet Union collapses in the early 90s, which they came, then came what they called the Periodo Especial, the special period, which is right. sort of similar to what they're going through now, where they have no money, they got no food, store shelves are empty, there's no medicine, the medical system that's so loved by Bernie Sanders and Michael Moore is has basically collapsed. And the only way they're kept afloat is there's too many international interests that their survival benefits them. If the Cuban dictatorship, the Castro dictatorship were to fall tomorrow, it would be devastating to Canada, to Spain, to Italy, to the European Union, because there would be a day of reckoning. Right, right. A lot That's of those right. hotels no. are built on stolen property. A right. lot. All those things would happen. That's the last thing they want to happen. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. So, I mean, that's uh, unfortunately, as they say, part of the mix and what keeps them going. Well, Alberto, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I just ahead. wanted to give you one, one last point. Yeah, just go to ahead. give you an, an example on how, how Spain is desperate to keep the Cuban regime going. There was just a protest, and we posted about it a day or two ago, outside the Spain's main newspaper, like their version of the New York Times, El País. And they were protesting because El País wrote an article saying that Spaniards should go vacation in Cuba and that, yes, people are going hungry. Yes, people are oppressed. But it's okay. You won't see any of that. <laughs> because yes, I know. That's hotels all have food. Yes, there's right. no electricity, but don't worry. The hotels always have electricity, right, and you won't right. see any of that stuff. So you should go over there because if you don't, then it's going to be even worse for the Cuban people. Right. That's, that's for how desperate they are to keep the regime afloat. Exactly. No, exactly. It, it's pathetic, but you're right. That's exactly right. Well, I want to thank you so much for, for giving us your time today, these wonderful moments that we had together. Well, and once again, con congratulations to Babalu, 20 years. Congratulations to you for the great job that you do there. And uh, to everyone in the Babalu family, uh, enjoy these two important days in, in Cuban history. We're going to post this on Babalu later so everybody can send you a card telling you how handsome you look. <laughs> okay. I appreciate All right. that. Alberto, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much. Thank for, you, Silvio. Great to see you again. It says, same here. Great to see you again uh, as well. Well, our friend uh, Alberto de la Cruz, uh, the editor of the Babalu blog, and uh, as I told him, it feels like, you know, I talk to him every day, literally, or contact with him every day. And it's so great to actually have a conversation like this. Thank you for, for listening. And uh, again, check out Babalu on the 19th and the 20th. They're going to have a lot of information about Cuban history. And this is a good time to share that information with your family, particularly your children and grandchildren who were born in the United States who need information about Cuba, and Babalu is a great place to find it. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas.